Welcome to the Growing Vegetables Down Under podcast. I'm your host, Diana. I want to show you how it's possible to have your very own vegetable garden at home, even if you are working and a busy mum like I am. Join me as I show you how you can have a simple, satisfying and sustainable vegetable garden. But before we get started, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you're listening on Apple and love what you hear, I would really, really appreciate it if you left me a five-star review and comment. So let's dive in to today's topic. Hello gardeners and welcome to my very first podcast. I am really excited to be doing this because I think it is such a great way to share knowledge about vegetable garden. Now, no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether you're driving, cooking dinner, I know that your time is valuable and I really appreciate that you have taken the time to stop by and listen to me. In these podcasts, I'm really hoping to cover off on all the topics that you want to hear about. So please, in the comments below, add in what you really, really want me to cover. But while I'm waiting for that feedback, I thought that I would step through starting a vegetable garden right from the beginning, all the way through to planting, to watering, fertilizing, and harvesting. I even want to cover off on pests and disease management in an organic and sustainable way. So let's dive straight into today's episode. And the topic is right at the beginning. How do you start a vegetable garden from scratch? Now, the first thing you're really going to consider is position. Obviously, plants need sunlight and a vegetable garden needs as much sunlight as you can possibly give it. So you need to look around your garden, your patio, your balcony, your side garden, your front garden, your walls. Where is getting the most amount of direct sunlight? And that is the spot you're going to choose for your vegetable garden. Now, it might not be where you were thinking it was going to go, but if you're wanting to get the maximum bang for your buck out of your garden, then I really recommend going with this approach. And once you know what the position is going to be, I encourage you to monitor that spot and see how many hours of sunlight it is getting a day during spring and summer. Obviously, autumn and winter and the amount of sunlight is also relevant, but your peak growing period is going to be over spring and summer. And so this is really what you're going to prioritize. Now, once you've chosen your position, you then need to think about what kind of garden bed you're going to put in there. And there are six kinds of garden beds. I know it sounds crazy, but there are in fact six. We've got container planting or planting in pots. 
We've got vertical gardens, which is growing on the walls of your house or your apartment or your, a building, even a shed. Then we've got wicking beds, raised garden beds, planting directly into the ground in existing garden beds. And lastly, we have the no dig garden. See, I told you there were six. So let's start with container planting. And I'm gonna go through these six kinds of garden beds and really highlight the pros and cons for you because I think if I do it that way, it's going to be really obvious to you which one of these vegetable garden systems is going to suit your setup. Now, container planting or pot planting has a lot of advantages and one of them is that the pots are mobile. So if you have an area in your garden that you have selected for your vegetable garden and it's maybe only getting five hours of sunlight, being in containers gives you the opportunity to move those pots during the day in order to maximize the amount of light that they are getting. You can get pots with wheels on the base or you can get little, they're like little planters that come wheels on the bottom so that you can put the pot on top of it and move it around. There's all kinds of options, but this also gives you the ability to move plants that are maybe struggling or stressed or bring a plant that is frost sensitive in under a patio or indoors. So the mobility of container planting, I think would have to be the biggest pro going for them. They can also be really attractive because of the huge variety of pots that are available on the market today. But they do come with a very big con. Now, personally, I think the number one way that beginner gardeners fail is because they underestimate the amount of water that a vegetable garden needs. When people ask me how frequently they need to water, I always say that it really depends on what you're growing. But consider the amount of water in the plant that you are growing. For example, the amount of water that a watermelon would need versus the amount of water that a carrot would need are very different. The water content of a watermelon is huge. And so you need to give that plant enough water to not only grow and survive and further synthesize, but also to fill the product that it's making, your watermelon, with all of that liquid. So vegetables are thirsty and people tend to not water them long enough or frequently enough. Now coming back to container planting, pots dry out very quickly. Gravity sucks the water down and it runs off, but also being a smaller surface area, the sun heaps it up and there is an evaporation water loss as well. Another issue with container planting is that if you're planting in clay pots, they're actually very porous and so you're losing water out the sides of the pots as well as the bottom. So if you are going to go for container planting, you need to realize that you're going to have to water every single day. 
And in summer and spring, your plants are even going to benefit from being watered twice a day if you have the time. So they are quite time consuming, but perhaps this is something you enjoy. Perhaps this is a hobby. Maybe you're retired and therefore watering your plants this often is not going to be an issue. The second thing is to choose your pot. As I've said, clay terracotta pots are probably not the best option and instead go for stone, plastic or glass. Now, if you are trying to be as sustainable as possible, then online and Facebook marketplace or a buy nothing group or even at your local tip, I'm sure you'll be able to pick up some free pots that you can upcycle or reuse. The last thing about container planting is that it is essential that your soil is made up of the components that are going to retain moisture. Now, on my website, I have a recipe which I call Diana's Dirt, which is my garden soil, my veggie soil and my pot soil recipe. You will notice the one thing that is missing in here is peat moss. Peat moss is a great substance to retain moisture in a pot, and it is a common component of potting mix. However, once peat moss dries out, it then actually repels water. And so peat moss in pots is going to cause you a lot of issues if they ever dry out. Now we all go away, we all get busy. I think that this is going to be inevitable, especially in Australia's dry climate. If you're in New Zealand, then maybe this isn't going to be as big an issue for you. But I really do recommend that you have a look at my soil recipe and concentrate on putting in some of those substances that are gonna help retain moisture. Now, the next podcast episode is actually going to be all about filling your garden bed. So I'm going to be going through some of these great items that you should be putting into your soil. So I will leave that conversation there. And the last thing I want to talk about with container planting is I really recommend self-watering pots. So these are pots that have a little reservoir at the bottom which retains the water that has run through the pot when you've watered it. And inside the pot, there's going to be a little plastic shelf with some some little feet that go down into the very bottom of the pot. And when you fill up these little feet with soil and then fill up the remainder of the pot with soil, the feet go down into the water and actually soaks up that water that has initially run through. So I recommend getting a self-watering pot or even, if you're handy, you can upcycle and make self-watering pots because this is a great way to retain moisture for that little bit of extra time, which you will be so grateful for in the peak of summer. And this is a really good segue into the second type of gardening bed, which is wicking beds. Now, I am a huge fan of wicking beds. If you ask me which of these options you should be going with, I am going to tell you wicking beds. I love them. I am a convert. 
I think they are just fantastic. I had never actually even heard of wicking beds when I started vegetable gardening. And to be honest, if I did, I probably would not have gone with them. Firstly, I think you, you really underestimate how amazing they are until you actually have one. And secondly, and this is the biggest and I think the only con of a wicking bed, is that the initial upfront cost is considerable when you're comparing it to these other options. So I have six wicking beds. Uh, they're by an Australian company called Biofilter and they're called a food cube. They're about a meter by meter of planting space and are maybe six, 60 centimeters off the ground. Uh, and I have six of them in a row along a north facing wall of our house. As I said, I love them. And so a wicking bed has a very large water reservoir at the base. And then like a self-watering pot, it has this plastic shelf, which is what kind of holding the soil in the wicking bed and preventing it from falling into the water. And then in that shelf, it's got these little feet that go down into the water. And you fill up these feet with soil and then you fill up your wicking bed with soil and the water soaks through the feet into the soil and is wicked or soaked up to the roots of the plants. So it's very much mimicking the natural water table. The way that plants and trees grow down, their roots grow down in order to find that water table and feed from it. One of the big advantages of uh, bottom up watering as opposed to top down watering is that any seeds or weeds that blow into the top of your garden bed are not going to be watered by the hose and sprout. Now, of course, this will happen if it rains, but then again, this is Australia, so let's be realistic. Um, so that is one of the big advantages. And the other thing that I think is great is I only fill up my wicking bed once a week in summer. So my commitment to the garden, as far as watering goes, is about 15 minutes every week. And that is what I must do in order for my vegetable garden to survive. That's pretty amazing when you're comparing it to the amount of time you're going to need to water all of those container plants for the equivalent amount of gardening space. So I also support Biofilter because they are an Australian company. They're Australian made, Australian designed, and I believe that their garden beds are also made from recycled plastic. But if you're not interested in buying a wicking bed that is pre-made, there are actually a number of online companies that sell the components that make the internal setup of a wicking bed. So they will show you how to do the piping and put in the layers to keep your soil separate from your water and so forth. And you can buy these components and actually turn existing garden beds into wicking beds. So that is something worth looking into. And lastly, you can actually, if you jump onto YouTube, there are a whole series of videos telling you how you can make your very own wicking bed from upcycled materials. So it is possible to have a wicking bed without the significant outlay that I have been through. 
Uh, however, of all of these options, it is most likely to be the most expensive of them. But I feel like if you take into consideration the amount of water you're saving by not having the runoff and the evaporation and the increased yield in your garden bed, I grew a radish in five weeks. It was just amazing. If you take that into consideration, then I really do think that wicking beds come out on top. And going to the pros of wicking beds, I really think that I have harped on enough about them. I just, like I said before, I really think you underestimate how awesome they are until you actually have one and you just realize how much easier it is than what you were doing before. But the next kind of garden bed that I have mentioned is a vertical garden bed. Now, vertical garden beds are basically anything that is growing on a structure vertically. And you can buy pre-made pots that are designed to go on the walls. I know that Bunnings stocks, I think it's by the brand Holman, uh, stocks a one meter by one meter vertical garden set up. And I think they can even come with hydroponics, which is a watering system. I know Ikea also has something you can attach to your wall and then hang pots off all the way up to actually making it yourself out of pallets. There's all kinds of things on Pinterest that will inspire you. So if your number one spot in your garden that gets full sun or the most amount of sun is a wall, have a look at vertical gardens because they can look fantastic. However, If you think that a pot dries out quickly, a vertical garden is going to dry out even faster. So unless you're growing cactuses, which I doubt you are because we're here to talk about vegetables, you must install an irrigation system in your vertical garden. Absolutely must, because it will dry out so fast that your crops will really not be worth planting and not worth the outlay that you've gone to to set it up. But vertical gardens can be fantastic. They are great on balconies. They're great for townhouses. And they're just great for people who perhaps have a lovely backyard and don't want to dig it up to put in a vegetable garden. Also, if you have a dog who likes to get into your garden, maybe a vertical garden is the way that you can have a veggie patch without your four-legged friend interfering. But one of the big negatives of a vertical garden is that you're unlikely to have enough pot depth to grow certain vegetables who need a lot of depth. So, for example, a celeriac or a celery has a really big root system. So does a parsley, which may surprise you, but a parsley is actually part of the root family. So its root looks very much like a skinny carrot. And then we just happen to eat the leaves instead of the root. So you will need to do your research or listen to me so that you know what you're actually going to be able to plant in your vertical garden. But I can tell you that things like lettuce or spinach or all your herbs are going to be very happy in your vertical garden. Strawberries even will do quite well. However, they are very, 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 very thirsty. I hope that I have emphasized that enough. And so your watering is really going to have to be a priority in order to have successful strawberries. But 
they will do well in a vertical garden. So they're definitely an option. And in fact, you may be able to pair a vertical garden with one of the other five options I've discussed in order to maximize the amount of gardening space that you have. So moving on to number four, we have your standard raised garden beds. Now, this is probably the most common way of starting a vegetable garden. And one of the biggest benefits is that you can stick it anywhere you like in your backyard and you have full control over the soil that you're putting in and the soil that your vegetables are growing in. You can buy garden beds, you can make your own. There are so many options available. If you're interested in sustainable methods, then building a raised garden bed is probably something you're going to be very interested in. If you need to put your raised garden bed onto concrete, I would recommend putting it on top of some fake grass just to prevent soil run out from the bottom. However, I do know of people who have put raised garden beds straight onto concrete without anything between the soil and the concrete and they have had no issues with soil leaking out the bottom. But I think that one of the big negatives of raised garden beds, again, is coming back to the watering. People just underestimate the amount of water that vegetables need. But as long as I have harped on enough about the fact that you are going to have to be watering at least every 48 hours in summer and you must mulch, then a raised garden bed may be a good option for you. Jumping back to what I was talking about wicking beds, I do know of people who have purchased raised garden beds and turned them into wicking beds. So that might be something that you can think about if you're wanting a wicking bed, but not wanting the upfront cost that I have had in buying a pre-made one. Another great thing about raised garden beds is that they're made from products that are more sustainable they're not made from plastic often, they are made from uh, corrugated iron or timber and so this is much better for the environment um, and they will be there for years and years and years and years without degrading. And moving on to the fifth way that you can start a vegetable garden, which is really the polar opposite of a raised garden bed, is gardening straight into the existing soil that you already have. So maybe you have a garden bed and you were thinking of pulling out the plants that are in there and replacing them with vegetables. Now, the biggest negative with this method is that you do not have as much control over the soil quality. And unless you have lived at your property for decades, you don't really know what is in that soil. So if you are going to do this, I would recommend that you get your soil tested in order to check that there are no nasties in there, that your vegetables are going to absorb and you will ultimately eat. The second issue with the soil is that a lot of the Australian soil is either quite clay-based or quite loamy, which is sand-based. And extreme clay and extreme sand are not ideal for vegetable gardens. And so you will have to put some effort in to improve the soil. It's not going to be as simple as just digging a hole and putting in your seedlings. 
If you've got clay soil, you're going to need to look at putting lime and gypsum in in order to prevent that clay from solidifying and drying out uh, or becoming really boggy, which will give your plants root rot. At the other end of the spectrum, the loamy soils, because of their high sand content, they drain very quickly and they dry out very quickly. So you'll be needing to add lots of organic matter in there to help retain the moisture. This is all achievable though. You can absolutely improve the soil in your garden as long as, of course, there aren't traces of harmful elements like lead. And this would have to be probably one of the cheapest ways that you can start a vegetable garden, digging into your existing garden bed. And I will cover off in the next episode if you are following this route and you already have garden soil that you have brought in and put into that garden bed, I will talk about then about what you need to do to make that soil of good quality for your vegetables. If you are also gardening into the ground like this, water moisture retention is going to be something to think about and drainage. And in fact, water is probably not going to be your biggest issue because the ground naturally holds and retains moisture better than a man-made garden. But if you're thinking about putting a vegetable garden into an existing garden bed, then maybe our last and final type of vegetable garden might actually be something worth considering. And that is called a no-dig garden. Now, I do not have any personal experience with no-dig gardens, but I'm obviously aware of what they are. They are a garden that is built without a external structure like a raised garden bed straight on top of the existing garden. So whether they're building straight on top of concrete, whether it's clay, whether it is grass, you just start layering up your highly nutritious and fertile soil on top. So a lot of people do this as a way of taking over existing lawn. And so you would start by putting down thick layers of newspaper or cardboard and then you were layering this with various products such as compost, such as manure, such as uh, straw. And so you were creating this lasagna, basically, of fertile soil. And you plant your seeds and your seedlings in the top of this. And at the end of each season, after your harvest, you simply add more soil, more compost, more mulch onto your lasagna and the plants are then getting all the high quality nutrients that they need. So this is probably the cheapest way of starting a garden. Maybe it is slightly more expensive than going into an existing garden bed, but I guess that depends on how much you need to improve the soil. But certainly these last two are the cheapest and The no-dig garden bed is a great way to take over an existing area of your garden without having to do all the arduous tasks like removing existing grass. They can also be an option for people who have concreted over the area that is the best place in their garden to start a veggie patch. 
So again, there is heaps and heaps of information available on YouTube and online about starting a no-dig garden bed. I will cover it more in the next episode when I'm talking about filling your garden bed, but this will give you a really good overview of what a no-dig garden is. Now, as far as the cons go with a no-dig garden bed, apart from... I guess the water issue, uh, which obviously is nowhere near as bad with a no dig garden as it might be with a raised garden or a container or a vertical garden. Really, the only other thing I can ent- uh, identify as a negative is if you have a dog, uh, because there's really no way of keeping your dog out of the garden because it's just like more garden or lawn for them to explore. So possibly if you have a four-legged friend, a no-dig garden might not be the option for you. But other than that, I think no-dig gardens do have a lot of potential and they're very quick to set up. Now I hope that that has been helpful and given you a good idea of what you need to think about when it comes to placing and setting up your vegetable garden. Now, please join me for the next episode, which is going to be talking about what you're actually putting into these garden beds. What are the essential components? And I am telling you that a bag of potting mix is not it. In fact, even the veggie mix from your local garden center that might drop it off on your driveway is not going to be all that you need to put into these garden beds. I have a great mix which is going to be perfect and is wonderful for our climate and so I encourage you to hit that subscribe button so that you get a notification when that next episode uploads. Thank you so much for joining me today. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Growing Vegetables Down Under. On Facebook, we also have the Growing Vegetables Down Under community, which is a group where you can share your successes or possibly your failures and ask for help. I would love to see you in that group and I am able to provide any advice you'd like on that platform. If you have any comments or suggestions about other topics you'd like me to cover, just leave them in the comments below or send me a DM. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Happy gardening!